give glory to the glorious Lord that deserves all of our praise. So throughout this morning's message, you, you will be wakened up by a readjusted mi microphone. There we go. Now you can hear me. That was my fault. You will hear me say, he is risen. Great. With that, would you open in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. We're going to read all of chapter 24, so follow along with me. Uh, it, it's not going to be on your screen. If you have a Bible, read along. If not, listen carefully to the words of the scriptures of Dr. Luke that the Lord gave him. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He, has he is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because the words to them, their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked, are you only a, visitor, only a visitor to Jerusalem and do you not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they didn't see. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? 
And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It's true, the Lord is risen and appeared to Simon. Then the two who told, then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. They were startled thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and look at my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. And he said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them as was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Lord, we praise you today. You gave your one and only son. You allowed him to be killed. You allowed him to be punished for sins that were not his own. But death could not keep him. Sin was not master over him. And he rose victoriously just as you said he would. And we worship together today, celebrating our risen Lord and our Savior and our King. And now as we look at these words and as we look at the scriptures this morning, open our hearts, we pray. Amen. Well, it's Easter. As Sydney said, Resurrection Sunday when hopefully just like every other day of the year, we remember that Jesus not only died on the cross, but rose again victoriously. I grew up in a very small town in northeastern Ohio, if you're from the States, uh, and on, right on the edge of one of the great lakes, one of the biggest freshwater lakes in the world, called Lake Erie. And one of the great things about growing up in this area 
was one, our winters were harsh uh, in the sense that while we didn't get super cold temperatures, we got this miraculously cool thing called lake effect snow. And if you know what lake effect snow is, somehow the air uh, gets the cold and the warm all together and just builds up lots of snow. So annually we would have between 12 and 20 feet of snow. It was great. You could literally climb up the snow banks where they had to plow and build nice tunnels all through them. And it was just exciting. It was so fun to go play. But then it was also fun to see the weather begin to change. The spring begin to come. And in Ohio, it seemed to be just timed perfectly. When we lived in Minnesota, spring lasted very short because then we just went straight to mosquito season. But in, in Ohio, you had this nice gradual thawing. And as it thawed, the grass came out, and it was nice and beautiful green because we had this great, rich, sandy soil. And the flowers would begin to bloom, and all of our neighbors with rose bushes, they would all start to come up. And it was just this beautiful time of year. There was new life everywhere. And every morning you would hear all these birds chirping, which at the time I thought were annoying because they woke me up. But now I look back and think, wow, that was really great. And I loved spring. We don't get much of a spring here in Hong Kong. We get it a little bit, but we don't get it quite to the same thing. But the thing I've gotten older that I love Being in the business of transforming that which just a short time before seemed dead. And if you had grown up living in my part of the world, I romanticize the snowiness. But what I don't tell you about is the muddiness that came between when the spring really came and when the winter had really ended. And it was just disgusting. It was always overcast. It was dark. And the roads were just a mess. And I had to walk to school, something you, you might not be familiar with here. And that walk, every day I would get splashed. And so every day going to school, I would be dirty by the time I got there because of the filth that came at the end of winter. Some of you may be able to relate to that. Well, that filthiness didn't last. And that was what made it so great was while it was there for a season. By God's perfect and divine creation, the snow melted. It watered the ground perfectly. The grass got greener. The golf courses looked beautiful, if that was your thing, and it was mine. And everything just felt right. Well, when we get to this Easter Sunday, we find a picture of women running to the tomb wondering what they're going to find. And I don't know, you know, the scriptures don't tell us what they were expecting to find. We know that they had gone and they had prepared his body, but we don't know what the expectation was. We don't know in their minds what they thought was supposed to happen or why it had happened. They'd heard the teachings of Jesus. They no doubt knew the scriptures. But as we read Luke's account, the pieces hadn't yet been put fully together. And just like 
my memory of winter giving way to spring and how we can often just zip right by the, the dirtiness and the filth that gets us to that point. Sometimes I think we jump right ahead in the Easter story without looking at all that's gone on and all that has been done, not just at the cross, but with the empty tomb. And just what a miracle had been done through the person of Jesus Christ. Because maybe here in Hong Kong, we just, we get comfortable. When we look at seasons, well, we don't really have an autumn or a spring. It just, one day it's cool, and then the next day it's 33 and 85 or 90% humidity, right? And that's just how we go. But if we're not careful, we can miss the message of Easter in much the same way. Life can be chaotic, and we can miss what I love that Donald Hagner has to say. And this is how he explains it. He says, the death and resurrection of Jesus are to be seen as the fulfillment of the scriptures and so reflect the accomplishment of the will of God and the achieving of the goal of salvation history. This wasn't a one-off thing. All of time had been moving toward the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, our King Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? God's plans had been going on from the beginning of time, and he was in control and still is. And you look, and why is the resurrection so important? Well, if you flipped over in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15, 14, Paul just asked the question straight on. Well, if Christ hasn't been raised, what's the point? If Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is useless. Go watch G.I. Joe 2. Go watch the final four or go have good dim sum across the street. Because if Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead, our faith is a waste of time. But he did. He is risen. Oh, you're still awake. Good, you're with me. His resurrection is amazing. Look at just how Luke pulls some things out and how the connection pieces come together for some characters in the story. First, the angels. He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Interestingly enough, when you put the pieces of the puzzle together, they remembered the words of the Word. Remember, first, or John 1 tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. I got that backwards, but you get the idea. Jesus Christ is the living Word. And they remembered His words. He had spoken what would come to pass. And then later on, he goes to them and he says, how foolish you are. I've lost my page. Sorry. And how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. You see, what I love about Luke's account of Jesus rising and revealing himself to different people is each time he pointed back to the scriptures. 
Each time he not just said, here I am, see me. He said, here I am, see me. God's word said I was coming all along. This isn't a one-off thing. This isn't a surprise. I am the Messiah, the one you've been waiting for. From Moses that we talked about a few weeks ago to the prophets that talked about me. Isaiah, we'll look at him in a second. To the Psalms that talked about me. We've talked about those throughout this series. Each one of these, we could spend years looking at all the scriptures that point to Jesus Christ. Because from the very first words to the very last, the overwhelming message is God will be glorified and he will redeem his people through his son, Jesus Christ, who would die and rise again victoriously over sin. When you think about what was Jesus referring to when he said, do you remember the law and do you remember the prophets and all these things? Well, one of the things Jesus highlighted first when people spoke with him and when they talked was he, he said, there are two commands that I give that are great. And do you remember what they were? And he referred back to what's called the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is this, and Jesus added, connecting a passage in Exodus, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. And in doing so, Jesus had revolutionized what the law looked like to the people he was speaking to. And now here we get this picture of reminding them not just of the law, but who was meant by the law to be glorified and what was going on. And we have to ask the question that I believe the women the apostles and later all of the disciples that were with him would have been asking, have we obeyed the law? Have we loved the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind and with all of our strength? And have we loved others, as I tell my kids, even more than ourselves? You see, that's the heart of the gospel message, the love of God that we can give back. We can't earn his love. and We'll talk about that in a minute. But we obey in God's people. We're going to start next week looking at Deuteronomy. And the key there was obedience out of love for God. And so when, when Jesus says this, we've got to remember back to his words that just maybe, as we learned in Malachi, people had begun to love other things more than God. Because ultimately that's what sin is, Right? Sin is ultimately choosing to value and love those things which are ahead of God. We put our own agendas, our own opinions, our own desires ahead of what God's will is. We miss the target God has set before us. And the target God has set before us is simply stated as love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. But we tend to put ourselves at the center of that message. And so we miss it and we lose sight And when that happens, we've been separated from the love of God. We've been separated from our king, from the great God. And and that doesn't go over lightly because sin isn't a small thing. We're told also in the scriptures that God cannot look upon sin. Well, then how can he look upon us who are sinners? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well, sin is ultimately against a sovereign and mighty God. The seriousness of an insult, as John Piper says, 
rises with the dignity of the one insulted. So when we sin against God, it's massive. Even the littlest sin and his wrath has to be dealt with. There has to be righteous wrath. It's justice. We deserve to be punished for our sins. Just look at what we find out in Isaiah. This is um, amazing to me. As a father of three children, this just, it, it humbles me to no end. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his land. And as this refers to the Messiah, can you believe that the father would give his only son and do it intentionally? Let him go to die for sins that he didn't commit, for plans that were not carried out according to his will. You know, that's called disobedience. If you're a parent, you see your kids, you tell them to do one thing and they do the other, right? Well, God has watched humanity do this very thing. And instead of judging us rightly and condemning us all to hell, which we deserve, he created a path to salvation. He created a path to redemption. And he created a path to justification. Jesus tells us, that this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. God gave his only begotten son, his only son for us. And in verse 11 of Isaiah 53, what happens? Well, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. Out of the depths of the pain of, we're told that Jesus carried our sin. We're told that he bore our sin. He carried that on his shoulders. So if if you think to yourself about a time in your life when you have felt really guilty, when you've walked around and even your your very stature, your very ability to walk, it just you feel heavy because you know you're wrong. And it, it just weighs heavily on you. And if you haven't dealt with it, it just sort of pushes down on your soul and rips at you. And if you notice, it gets at your moods and it gets in your relationships with others. And it's an infection that just spreads. And Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, who committed no sin at all, who walked perfectly. We hear numerous accounts that he lived and he was righteous and he was pure and he was without fault out of the anguish of his soul, out of carrying my sin, out of carrying your sin, because I, I don't hate to tell you, I, I rejoice in telling you that we are all sinners. None of us are without sin. But out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. Because what we know from Ezekiel is that the soul who sins dies. But... God had a plan. He had a substitute coming. The theological word we use, an atoning sacrifice. Someone that would pay the price for you and me. He absorbs the wrath of God that is righteous and just and deserved. And Jesus Christ took it. Jesus Christ willingly, at the will of the Father, 
which is amazing to me. Again, his father put him on the cross. It wasn't the Jews. It wasn't Pilate. It wasn't Herod. It was God's will that he would die for our sins. And Jesus obeyed submissively, obeying the word of God, giving us an example to follow even in that, that we obey the word in that miraculous time when he was bearing the burden of my sin, of your sin. And he was the substitute. We talk a lot, especially around Easter time, of the sacrificial lamb. Because up to this point, if your sins were to be forgiven, you had to sacrifice a, a lamb or an animal. And in that, you could, your sins could kind of be covered over. But Jesus Christ didn't just cover over our sins. Remember what the psalmist tells us? You will re- he will remember your sins no more. He bore our iniquities. Iniquities is a fancy way of saying our sin. And I think most of us understand what the word sin is. This is love. Think to yourself before I finish that verse. What do I love in life? What do, what do I really, really love? And, and it could be all sorts of things. For me, um, I love my family. You know, we, we celebrated uh, my youngest daughter's birthday yesterday. She's three years old. I love her. That's great. But in the same breath, you might hear me say around certain people, I love a good piece of steak. Or I love tennis. Or I love all of you. And each of those is different. And each of those in some way have sort of love, but in all reality, I really like tennis. I really like steak. And I do love my children, and my wife is amazing, and I love her. But I want to tell you what real love is. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's real love. Romans 5 goes on and tells us this. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners. See, he didn't wait for us to fix ourselves. So often we we get in this pattern of life. And, And what happens is we know we've done wrong. And we begin to have be, be exposed to the light of God and the hope that is in Jesus Christ. And people tell us that Jesus loves us. And we say, that's really nice. And I want to believe it, but I'm not good enough. I got to get some stuff fixed in my life. I got to take care of some things first. I've got to correct some things. I've got to do this, this, and this. And then I'll be good enough to accept Jesus as my Savior. I wish I could tell you how many times I've had people tell me that. Or the flip side, well, I I live a pretty good life. I I make pretty good choices. I do the right thing. Well, you might sometimes. But in the end, if we all look at our heart, in the darkness, in the quiet moments of our soul, we know there's more. We know this isn't all there is. And we know if we really have to admit it, that no matter how hard we try, we cannot fix ourselves. Our world continues to get more and more broken because we continue to convince ourselves that there are other ways to God than Jesus Christ. But God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were still sinners, while we still needed fixing, 
We didn't need fixing. We needed kicked over a hill and shocked. We are sinners. We don't deserve to be fixed. Not too long ago, I was driving my car, and I had just had it in the shop to fix an overheating problem. And I got it back, and the mechanic assured me that the problem was fixed. And I believed him. And I drove my car. And my engine blew up. And I don't have that car anymore. You see, we can try to cover up the problem all we want, but if you don't get to the root, the problem will come back. And just like my little car that I liked is dead and has been scrapped, our lives, apart from Christ, apart from what he has done for us, our lives are condemned to hell. Hell is real. We'd love to say it's not, but it is. The scriptures are very clear. But the amazing thing is that Paul, in his explanation of just who Jesus is, doesn't stop with verse 8. He continues. Since now, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? You see, again, God's wrath. He hates sin and will deal with it rightly. But we are saved from God's wrath through Jesus Christ. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled, we were, our relationship was fixed with God through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? See, sometimes we stop right here. We stop at the cross. And you know what? Jesus Christ died for our sins. But he didn't stop at death. Death, where is your sting? It's not. He rose again three days later, victoriously over sin, once for all. And we are saved, not through his death, through his life. We can have life. Because the amazing thing is that sin, our sin killed him. But the righteousness of God rose victorious over sin and death has lost its grip. Sin has lost its sting and we are invited into a relationship with Jesus Christ for all eternity, a life that has been justified. You see, think about it like this. When you hear that word justification, let me go back to that verse. When you think about forgiveness, forgiveness means We've sinned. We've messed up. If, if you've had a friend in your life that you've had to say you're sorry to, right? You go to them and you say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Or you should. That's practicing reconciliation or seeking it. The other side of that is when you're given forgiveness, you have been guilty of that sin, but it's, it's not been counted against you. My crime isn't counted. John Piper says that justification, being justified, implies that I've been tried. I've gone to court and been found innocent. Think about that for a second. If I'm to ask you one by one by one by one, have any of you ever been wrong? Most of you, hopefully all of you would say, yes, I've been wrong. I have sinned. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But justification 
because of Jesus Christ, says not only are we forgiven, not only are we seen as forgiven, but we're seen as not guilty. We're seen as we never sinned to begin with. That's pretty exciting to me. I get excited. The judge looks at us and says, not guilty. We have been justified. We have been made right before God by something you and I did. Absolutely not. By what Jesus Christ did when he died for our sins and rose victoriously three days later saying, death, where is your sting? And when he looked at the disciples, he said, here I am. I told you all along. The scriptures told you I was coming. The Redeemer lives. I want you to watch a video as we consider just who Jesus is and what his resurrection means. Consider these words together. We were yet sinners. Christ died. We'll try again. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood. We shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. The word justified means that you and I stand before God acceptable, spotless, pure, and without sin. That God looks at us and says, there is no sin in that man. There is no sin in that woman. That he looks at us and we are now just in his sight. So all the blasphemy that we've done by choosing stuff over God, all the blasphemy that we've lived in by saying my way is better than God, all the blatant sin of saying creation is better than God is removed and God sees us as just. Much more than having now been justified by His blood. This is great news. Nothing about your effort in that test at all. Nothing about your might, your religious stamina, your morality, your cleaning yourself up. You have been justified by an act of God. Bottom line, you have not earned right standing in front of God by your effort or your cleaning up of your life. We have been made pure standing blameless in front of God, not because of any kind of religious or moral pursuit, but because Christ died. And in his death, he absorbed all of God's wrath for you and I. And that's why the Bible says that for the children of God, we are not appointed to suffer wrath. Because the wrath bestowed upon you and I was absorbed by Christ's death. absorbed the wrath that you and I deserve. But it didn't stop at his death because he rose again victoriously and invited all who would believe on him into eternal life, relationship with the King, our Savior. Some of you may be finding yourselves in a point in life where you say, I want to be right before God. And we're told that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes on him would have eternal life. Maybe it's time 
You admitted your sins. You confessed and said, I need a Savior. I can't fix myself, but I long to be just in the eyes of God. I long to be right with him. That is done through what Jesus did on the cross and the subsequent resurrection from the dead. For some of us who've accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, maybe stuff, maybe things, maybe this world has pushed Jesus off to the side and we need to come back and we need to say, Lord, revive my soul. I'm hungry for you. We'll do it today. And then there are some of us, seven to be exact, that we get to come right over here within just about five minutes and that they want to say publicly, Jesus Christ is Lord of my life, and I will walk with him as his disciple from here on out. And as the scriptures tell us, we make disciples, we seek to do that, and we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we're going to transition. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. And as they do, and as we sing a song of reflection, I want to ask you one question. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, Do you know just who Jesus is and what his resurrection means? Is your life hidden in the only one that can justify? Have you been set free, not by your own ways, but by the only one that could do it, our pure and spotless king? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we rejoice that you indeed are risen that you rose victoriously over sin, that we might be saved, that we might be justified, that we might be seen as righteous before your throne. Lord, please don't let us think that we've done it on our own. Humble us if we need it. Break us if we need it. Give us strength. We all need it. But draw us to you today. And Lord, give us the strength to commit our lives wholeheartedly to you. Through your son, Jesus Christ, we pray.